episodes. In this case, we're going to visit episode number two, which was entitled, You Are a Hero. I picked this episode because last week, our philosopher prince, Charming Fields, brought up the fact that the word virtue has an etymological link to the idea of a hero or being heroic. And our very second episode of the podcast was called You Are a Hero. So I thought it might be a good reminder for you. We'll have a new episode up next week. Until then, you keep on singing with your feet. Nous ne sommes pas fous, nous ne sommes pas ivres, nous sommes juste dans la joie. Une joie profonde, nos cœurs elle inonde. Cette joie, elle vient du ciel, non. Nous ne sommes pas fous. Welcome to Sing With Your Feet, the podcast in which you are the hero of the story. A story in which you discover a treasure in your own backyard and in which you have the courage to dust off that buried treasure and let it exist in the real world, to your benefit and to the benefit of those around you. I'm Lily Fields, and I'm going to be your fairy godmother for the the next half hour or so. Last time we met, back in episode one, we were sitting on a park bench with a bunch of children screaming in the background. I believe you had forgotten to bring your magic wand. Did you bring it today? look you're giving me. What, you still don't know what you did with it? Well, my dear, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. We've got a lot of ground to cover today. Wait a second, Lily. Uh, That's you speaking again. Remember, I hear you as a southern belle. Just live with it. With all due respect, I am not the hero of any story at all. You must have mixed me up with someone else. Uh, And I certainly don't have any treasure to speak of. And particularly not a buried treasure. I would know that if I did. And I thought you were the fairy godmother. I am not the one who needs to do the work. As for your first objection, that you don't think you are the hero of any story at all? Well, maybe we should define hero first. What do you think a hero really is? Are you imagining a a war hero? Or a superhero? Or a first responder? Are you imagining Mother Teresa or Gandhi or Sully Sullenberger? Well, let's check out a few definitions I found for the word hero. A hero is the main character of a story, a play, or a movie. A hero is a real person or a fictional character who, in the face of danger, combats adversity through feats of ingenuity, courage, or strength. A hero is a person noted for courageous acts or nobility of character. Based on those three little definitions that I just gave you, I'd like to argue that you are a hero. You are the main character in the story of your life. I would argue that, although we have only spent one short afternoon together on a park bench getting to know one another, that you have had to combat adversity of many different kinds in your life, and that you have done it with no small amount of ingenuity, courage, and strength. I am going to make a presumption about you as well, as morbid as it may sound. I presume that, should you die tomorrow, 
you would like for your loved ones to stand up and tell stories about your courageous acts and your nobility of character. Am I right? Well, you, you don't have to answer that right away. We're in no particular hurry. But all I can say is that I know I don't have you mixed up with someone else. You are a hero. If you're nobody's hero but mine, then at least know this. You are my hero. To address your second point, the one in which you claimed that you have no treasure, and certainly no treasure buried in your backyard, that, my friend, I know to be untrue. Sure, your treasure might be buried under tons and tons of dinosaur poop, and we'll get to that in our next episode, but I assure you, there is a treasure that you have been at the very least ignoring, and it's very most destructive, intentionally trying to hide. Perhaps you yourself have misunderstood this treasure. You yourself may have labeled it useless or fruitless or undesirable and thrown it into the muckfield backyard. Or perhaps because when you tried to show it off to someone once a long, long time ago, you were shamed for it. You snuck out in the dead of night and you buried it where no one would ever find it. I'm going to argue, eventually, even before we get out the excavator and start digging through the tons and tons and tons of muck back there, that there are three treasures you are holding in your grubby little paws that you can put to work immediately. If you do start investing those treasures, your perspective about being a hero in your own story will shift. And maybe, just maybe, you'll start to believe me when I say that you are a hero. Your last objection was that you didn't feel much like rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. It's exhausting being me every day, Lily. That was you again. I want to be completely honest with you on this one point. I do not have this all figured out. I am still every single day wrestling with the notion that I exist for a reason and that I have anything at all to offer. Here's the one little tiny thing I do know, though, and perhaps the only thing I bring to this discussion that is of any value at all. I have learned how to do the work. And because I know how to do the work, it has been my privilege to sit on park benches with any number of people over the years and share my story with authenticity and candor and see how a few compassionate questions can bring light back into the eyes of people who don't believe that they are heroes either. All I'm asking for you to do is listen and take a few minutes to reflect. Don't let this idea exhaust you. Even superheroes get tired sometimes. At the end of our last episode, I gave you a tiny bit of homework. I asked you to take a sheet of paper and to write at the top, in my ideal life, I am a person who? That was the question. And it's not too late to do it now. And while you're at it, let me give you a few additional details. The question is not, in my ideal life, what do I have? Nor is it, in my ideal life, what do I do? And note this very, 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 very closely. The question is not, in my ideal life, my partner is a person who? Nor is it, in my ideal life, my children are people who? The question is about you, my lovable hero. You. Who you would be in your ideal life. What character traits you wish to possess. What do you want the people who love you to say about you? When I had my first child, I decided to stop working. I was 38 years old. 
I had been working for my entire adult life. I thought that investing in this little tiny life would be a fulfilling second career. And it wasn't. <laughs> Once the initial tornado of babyhood and toddlerhood had passed, after my second baby was born exactly 17 months to the day after the first one was born, I found that I had lost all sense of perspective, purpose, or vision for my own life. For someone who has always been self-motivated, this was a fate worse than death. That little prompt landed on my heart like a butterfly on a flower. In my ideal life, I am a person who... I started answering the question. In my ideal life, I am a person who doesn't get irritated with her children. In my ideal life, I am a person who doesn't want what she can't have. In my ideal life, I am a person who makes her bed every single day. In my ideal life, I am a person who knows what's for dinner. In my ideal life, I am a person who. It was really, really hard to go from being a professional, from being a person who was making progress every day, helping other people make progress every day, who was visibly making magic every day with or without a magic wand. I made magic because I had a vision and a plan and the determination to make things happen. It was so, so painfully hard to go from being that person to then finding myself vacuuming up Rice Krispies and doing a never-ending pile of laundry. Somewhere along the line, I lost my vision. Not necessarily the vision for my family or the work that needed to be done to keep our family working smoothly. No, I lost my sense of purpose. I lost my identity. I lost my sense of self. Although I won't blame all of my postpartum depression on this loss of vision and loss of identity, it certainly didn't help when hormones kicked in and the constant numbing urgency of caring for other people kicked in. Does this sound familiar? Even without suffering from postpartum depression, you can still feel like you've lost your purpose and your sense of self. It can happen when we change professions, when we move from one place to another, when we retire, when a relationship ends, when we change schools. These changes require adaptation. Adaptation takes the time that it takes. But when time has done its work, we can still end up flailing, having lost our vision for our own lives and having lost our sense of purpose. Let me just say this. There is a purpose for your life. While you may not see it today, and while it may feel far, far, far removed from your current circumstances or your current lifestyle and your current configuration, there is a reason for you to be on this planet. There's a proverb that says, without vision, the people perish. You don't want to perish, do you? Well, neither do I. And that's why I started to pursue my ideal life. And so should you. It starts with finishing that little sentence. In my ideal life, I am a person who... Who what? I want you to try something for me. Tomorrow morning, I want you to set your alarm for 15 minutes before anyone else in your house wakes up. And I want you to take the first five minutes, get yourself a cup of coffee, get settled in your favorite chair, and then I want you to keep finishing that sentence in as many ways as you possibly can. In my ideal life, I am a person who, who, what.
Now, I'm going to shift gears and talk about something that makes me really uncomfortable, but I believe it's important enough and that you are important enough to put it out there. I want to talk about the guilt that comes with having more than enough. The shame that comes with being just slightly above average. The humiliation of being a person with, air quotes here, great potential, but who never figured out how to harness that potential. It is as uncomfortable for me to talk about as it will be for you to hear about, so let's just agree to not judge each other, right? After that rather mysterious preamble, let us begin. I come from a long line of fashionable women. The first one being my Gigi. Gigi was my paternal grandmother. She was a wickedly beautiful and devilishly funny woman who, from my armchair diagnosis, suffered from narcissistic personality disorder. Had Gigi lived in Florence during the Renaissance, she would have been the finest courtesan in town. Gigi could talk politics, flirt with important people, keep them hanging on her every word, and listen with genuine compassion. Oh, and Gigi had an eye for beauty. <laughs> she only missed her best life for about, by about 400 years. As it were, Gigi had three children, one of them being my father, and she raised them through the 1950s with the unthinkable baggage of being a woman with great potential. I'm going to illustrate what I think is happening in your life, what I know happened in my life, and what I suspect happened in Gigi's life with a story from the Bible. But wait, before you turn off the podcast, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I am not asking you to believe anything. I just want you to listen to a story. It's a story that has always seemed really, really harsh to me. It's the story about this rich guy who gives five bags of gold to one servant, three to another servant, and one bag of gold to a last servant. And then he leaves. He doesn't tell them what to do with the gold. He doesn't warn them that he's expecting anything from them. He just takes off. No return date. But he does eventually come back. And he comes back to find out that the first person, the one he gave the five bags of gold to, he doubled them, and now he has ten bags of gold. So the rich guy congratulates him. And he does the same with the second one. But the third one, the third one, he gets punished for having dug a hole in his backyard and hiding the gold so that he wouldn't lose any of it. And he gets himself in trouble. And this story has always seemed so harsh to me. Because that poor fella who got one bag and ended up with nothing but gnashing teeth was afraid to lose what had been given him in the beginning. He knew that that rich guy was nasty. And he knew that the bags of gold were distributed. It was done according to abilities. And he might have looked at the two other guys who seemed smart and so wily and said, Oof, I'm nothing compared to them. I better not screw this up. And to not screw it up, he went and he dug a hole in his backyard thinking, at least I won't lose the money this way. All right, I am going to unpack a joke that's in French, so you're just going to have to excuse me, and it might take a second, but at least you're going to learn a little French. Yay! Here's the sentence. Il ne faut pas se comparer aux autres, parce que c'est con et on n'a pas raison. Google Translate will not help you here, so let me. You shouldn't compare yourself to others because it's dumb, and you won't be right, except that the word for dumb sounds like the first syllable of the word comparison, comparaison, 
and won't be right sounds like the last part of the word comparaison, which is raison. So it's con, et on a pas raison. Did I lose you? I'm sorry. It's just that this joke has always stuck with me, in large part because my own self-worth problems have always led me to compare myself unfavorably to others. Other people are always smarter, always funnier, always had better ideas, always had more opportunities, were always more beautiful, always had better clothes, and always had nicer shoes. The problem with comparing myself like this is that I would inevitably forget that I am smart. I am funny. I have ideas. I have a lot of ideas. I have opportunities. I can be beautiful. I have lovely clothes. I have shoes, just never the right ones at the right time. Now, 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 Lilyfield, you take a step back there. That's you again. You just can't go around talking like that about yourself. Well, actually, yes, I can. I just said nice things about myself, and I want you to start doing that, too. You see, as I have been digging around into the wonderful world of Gigi, my smoking hot grandma, I'm starting to understand where so much of my shame came from. Gigi was a gorgeous, vivacious woman who loved attention. She lived with a terrible dissonance about herself. She wanted to be the most beautiful woman in the room, and yet once she was recognized as being the most beautiful woman in the room, she got scared. One thing I remember Gigi saying about a much younger neighbor was, Oh, her? She doesn't like me because I'm beautiful. The little version of me who heard her grandmother say that, that little version of me who wanted to be liked by people, heard that and understood that it's not okay to be beautiful or else people won't like you. I'm willing to bet that you live with some version of this as well. Some version of, don't talk so much, people don't want to hear so much about all that. Or, don't make a big deal out of your new dress, you don't want people to get jealous. Somewhere along the line, some of us, not all of us, but some of us, people like me, and I'm willing to bet people like you, picked up the idea that our good fortune in life was something of which we should be ashamed. We were not to make a big deal about the things we loved because... For example, belting show tunes out at the top of our lungs could be construed as annoying in certain friend groups, or writing notebook libraries full of stories that we wouldn't ever let anyone read by the time we were ten was a silly pastime. Loving clothes and fashion was shallow. Being pretty made us unlikable. The things that made us unique and made us vibrate were things that we learned to bury. Peer pressure family dynamics, church guilt, adult responsibilities, they were all contributors to this. As we grew up, the things we loved took on a, a bitter film of shame. We ended up floundering for a career path, not loving anything we would do, yet secretly indulging in those things we used to love. I mean, we need clothes, right? Living in society means wearing makeup. I wrote at least four novels that I will never let anyone read. I did it secretly shamefully even. I gave up singing because I couldn't make a career out of it, and I was embarrassed for my failures. <laughs> I told you I didn't have this all together, and I was not exaggerating. Uh, 
Because I faced a period of personal upheaval in 2012, I was accompanied by a very special woman. Her name was Sonia. Sonia is the person I curse when I am irritated with my children because, and I mean this quite literally, without her, my children would never have been possible. She is the person I think of every year during the week between Christmas and New Year because it was during that time of the year that she helped change my life. I'll tell you that whole story another time, but for now, suffice it to say that sometimes rescue comes in unexpected ways and through unexpected people. Sonia was a work colleague who, in her spare time, was studying to become a counselor. And Sonia was how I started sparkling again. Through Sonia, I met the people who helped me deal with the darkness and the secrets in my soul. These were secrets that seemed so shameful to me. So shameful that I had built a whole system of protective barriers and walls in order for them to pass unnoticed. At the very core of all my secrets was the fact that I didn't feel like I had the right to exist. I had a deeply rooted feeling of illegitimacy as a human being. I hated myself so much that I sabotaged every good thing I ever had. I thought I knew what counseling would look like. I thought it would be me lying on a divan complaining about my childhood, and that is not what I got. The very first exercise I was asked to complete was for each of the first 18 years of my life to write down a good memory and a bad memory. This exercise was the one that gave me the first inkling that I had been burying something. Before that, even in the depths of my self-loathing, I knew there were a few things I was modestly good at professionally. I'm a numbers geek. I have an intensely critical thought process. I can make connections that no one else can see and that can help move an organization forward. But honestly, sitting there in front of a piece of paper with the numbers 1 through 18 listed on each line with one column for good memory and another column for bad memory, I racked my brain. For someone who was once told I have a head-exploding quantity of fairly decent ideas and that I am relentless in my perfectionism, the fact that I couldn't even get started on the exercise was disappointing. It's hard. Trying to remember something that happened when you were six is hard. What this exercise did was hand me back the power of the pen over my own life. It allowed me to reframe periods of my life which I had experienced in passive voice, whether because I was too little, too ignorant, too blinded by my own wants, or misled by the wants of others. I really want you to try this exercise because there's so much power in remembering. is the most beautiful conclusion to which you can come from this exercise. You used to sparkle. You used to shimmer. There were things that made you happy. There may not have been 10 million, but there are at least 18 things which after long reflection, you can consider good moments. There were long afternoons doing puzzles or weekends playing Monopoly with your best friend. There were sweet moments of warmth, of which you can only remember a sliver, but still feel as safe and as tender and as real as the day it happened. 
They were successes, which can only be remembered with a glittery shimmer to them, even though they were objectively tiny successes. At the time, they felt like the only thing in the world that mattered. I want you to picture the face of that child you once were, the one who sparkled, and I want you to whisper to that child, you aren't done sparkling yet. It may take counseling. It may take a lot of soul searching. It will take years. But that child deserves to know that even if no one else takes her seriously, and maybe if no one ever did take her seriously, you do. This is your chance to become a hero. There are dozens of reputable counseling services available now to help you tease out the meaning of your good memories and your bad memories, and I encourage you to explore them. I listen to a boatload of podcasts, and there are always ads for online counseling services. This investment in yourself is one that will pay dividends in sparkle. I am going to put into the show notes a link to a little document that I whipped up from my endless cavern of fairly decent ideas just to help you get started. There are absolutely no strings attached. I just want you to start sparkling again. Okay, okay, there's one string. I want you to celebrate your sparkle. I love to celebrate things. So listen to me. Listen very, very carefully. You are not done sparkling yet. You are not done sparkling yet. You are not done sparkling yet. Next time on Sing With Your Feet, we're going to be talking about what might have buried the sparkle we were born with and what it might look like to uncover it. Let me give you a hint. It involves elbow-length rubber gloves and a certain scene from Jurassic Park. Remember, if you need mental health support, don't wait. You deserve competent, professional, one-on-one guidance, even more than you need a fairy godmother. Please, if you enjoyed the podcast, rate it on your podcatcher so that other people can find it and enjoy it too. I would be truly honored were you to share it with someone who you think might benefit from having a fairy godmother too. I'm on Instagram as Lily Fields Challenge. I'm on Facebook as Lily Fields. Or you can find me on my blog, www.lilyfieldschallenge.com. L-I-L-Y. As always, a special thank you to Jonathan Moulin and Eric Muller for their technical expertise. Also, a shout out to the team at Seven Production for the use of the song La Joie for the intro and outro to the show. This is your fairy godmother signing off for today. Just remember, it is never too late to start singing with your feet.